Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Uh, Alex and the team, thank you for leading us in that time of worship. Uh, We are so glad. So glad that we get to come together every week because we do this at the end of the week. We gather to glorify God. No matter what this week has looked like for us, we know that God is good and we have either experienced his goodness this week or we are holding on that we will experience his goodness in the future because of this confident expectation and a better tomorrow that's based on the character and the promises of God. So we are so glad that we get to gather and celebrate that. Uh, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here at the Hope Collective, and you are jumping in with us during a very exciting time in the season of our church. And the Hope Co. family calendar is very full over the next couple weeks. And so we want to make sure that everybody who calls this place home and is part of the Hope Collective knows what's coming down the pike over these next couple weeks. And so Easter is in just a couple weeks. And we are excited that we get to gather together and celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We do that every single week, but there's a special opportunity that we have during the Easter season to gather and do that. So like we've done for the past three or four years now, we are going to take Good Friday and we are going to gather in our homes around tables to remember the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples and the work that he did on the cross for each and every one of us. And so on that Friday, the 15th of April, we'll be creating a, a video resource that will be available online at thehopeco.com Easter that you'll be able to ch- check out and share with your families, your community groups, or invite people to your table and share that experience together with them. But we're looking forward to being able to celebrate Good Friday in homes around tables. And then on Saturday, April 16th, the Hope Co. Kids Ministry will be sponsoring their second annual family scavenger hunt, gathering here on campus at about two o'clock and then going all over the place for this scavenger hunt. Quick reminder that this is not a drop-off event. (laughs) This is a family scavenger hunt. So families, please stay together. But that'll be happening on that Saturday. Registration is required for that. So again, check out thehopeco.com slash Easter to find that registration. And then finally, on Sunday, sunrise service at six o'clock, followed by three services. I heard two woos. Like, woo! Three services for Easter, eight o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. We're looking forward to celebrating that time together. So that's what's happening in two weeks. There's another event happening next Sunday that we've been talking about for a while and that we're excited to be a part of and has something to do with this table. I know some of you came in here and saw this table. You're like, why is this here? Because Dave's speaking table is tall for me. And this is the only thing I could find. That's a probably size. No. So a few weeks ago, at our advanced commitment night, we had a group of people gathered in this space on a Friday night after hearing this Give Hope vision that we've been talking about for several weeks. And they came forward with these cards and filled out that yellow box with what they believed God was asking them to be a part of for the next two years and contribute to this Give Hope vision. And on that night, this small group of people came forward with those cards to say, we want to be a part of what's going on. And they took time to sign their names on this table. We've been using this idea of the table as a metaphor for this series about what does it look like for us as a church to build bigger tables. The Hope Collective, formerly called Alpine Chapel, was started 40 years ago around couples gathered around a table asking the question, how can we be part of a church that's making a difference in its community? They gathered around this table and made a bigger table so that people could come and experience a relationship with God and with one another. And we find ourselves in a season of our church where we have the opportunity to build bigger tables as well. And that's what this Give Hope vision is about. It's about what God wants to do in us so that he can do something through us and giving us the opportunity to build a bigger table. And so next Sunday, April 10th, this Commitment Sunday, where we're asking everybody who's part of a Hope Collective family, everybody who calls this place home, to come with their card, having prayed and had the conversations about, God, what do you want me to do as part of this Give Hope vision to fill out that yellow box and bring it forward and sign their name on this table as we say we want to be part 
of building bigger tables so the community can experience the hope of Jesus. That's going to be next Sunday, April 10th, Commitment Sunday. Do not miss that opportunity. We are looking forward to sharing that time together. And here's what's awesome, is that as much as we are looking forward to April 10th and taking that opportunity, we're not the only ones that are making commitments to this Give Hope vision. Downstairs, right now, the Hope Co. Kids Ministry is having their commitment Sunday, right? And so several weeks ago during our vision night, Kate Zwiebelhover, our staff uh, pastor for the kids ministry, shared the vision of building bigger tables and bringing hope to the community with our Hope Co. kids and said, kids, we want to build bigger tables so that people can meet Jesus and experience the hope that he has to offer. And so we want to raise $11 million so that we can share hope. And the kids looked at her and went, us? <laughs> so she had like, no, no, not the kids, like the church, like we're all going to raise 11... Oh, we could do that. We could do that. I can do some chores and make some money. You, do you have birthday money? Like, who, what are we going to do to be a part of this? And there are people that would look at the faith that that kid's had and with a cynical heart say, how naive, how cute. But we look at that and we call that childlike faith. Because however much those kids contribute, it's not about that. It's a heart that's willing to say, we want to see people experience hope too. We can be a part of that. What can we do to be a part of that? They're having that moment right now, downstairs. In a couple of days, Hope Co. Youth is going to be having their commitment, their commitment night as well. And so this is something that we are doing together as a church. And so before we go any farther, I would love for us to take some time to pray for the kids' ministry downstairs, for the youth ministry on Wednesday night, and for this place next Sunday morning, can we take some time to do that? Heavenly Father, thank you for the children that you have put in our lives that show us what it means to trust and show us what it means to love and teach us so much about what it means to be in a relationship with you that we have forgotten. And we pray right now for these kids, this next generation of disciples and leaders in the church, that this would be a moment that they remember for them, a moment where they heard your voice speak and where they said yes, and that it would start a lifetime of following you for those kids. We pray for Hope Co. Youth on Wednesday, that you would move their hearts as well to say yes to being part of something that is bigger than themselves, but something that they get to do together with one another and with your church. And we pray for next Sunday, God that you would continue to open up our hearts, that we would hear your voice clearly, and that you would give us the courage to respond in any and every way that you would ask us to. And it's in the name of Jesus, who is our hope, that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, hey, we are coming to the tail end of our series called Give Hope. And as part of this Give Hope vision, we've been taking time to unpack what does it look like for us to allow God to do something in us because there is something that he wants to do through us. What does it look like for every person who calls the Hope Collective home to experience the freedom that Jesus has to offer, the belonging that he has to offer us as part of a new family, and the humble obedience that he invites us into as we follow God alongside one another? We've talked about this as the primary goal, the primary thing that we want to see happen as part of this Give Home campaign is that God would do something in us, freedom and belonging and obedience for every single person who's part of the Hope Collective. And as much as God is doing something in us, there is also something he wants to do through us. And so we've taken these three ideas to talk about the things that we believe God is calling us to be a part of in the future, these ideas of building the foundation, of building the family, and building the future. And so last week, we talked about the fact that where there is no foundation, there will be no future. And we looked at the people that helped lay a foundation for the ministry of Jesus that enabled the future to take place that we are still benefiting from today. Next week, we're going to hear from our lead pastor, Dave, about the future that God is inviting us into and what it means for us to see the Hope Center continue to grow and Hope Centers planted nationally, internationally, churches planted nationally and internationally and the future that God is inviting us into. But between the foundation that has been laid and the future that we are moving into is this idea of the family and what it means for us to build the family. 
And so if the foundation is about what God has done and the future is about what God will do, then building the family is about what God is doing now and what it looks like for us to continue to live into the future that God has for that family. Because the kind of family that we are will determine the kind of future that we see. And so what does it look like for us to look at the life of Jesus and his thoughts about the family of God and what that means for how we engage with the future God has in store? And so I'd invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the shelves in the back, but we are going to be in Mark chapter 3. And we are going to begin reading in verses 31 through 35. And here's what we're going to do, is that we are going to read this passage once, all together, and then we're going to actually double back to this and read it again after we have some time to put this verse into context. So I would invite you to stand with me as we read God's word together. And so again, we are in the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 31 to 35. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. And they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. And there was a crowd sitting around Jesus. And someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. And anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Heavenly Father, just as you spoke once to inspire these words, we pray that you would use them to speak again to our hearts today. Open up our ears and our minds to hear what you would have for us and help us to think like you think so that we can live like you live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So the kind of future that we are will determine the kind of future that we see, or the type of family that we are will determine the kind of future that we see. So what does it look like for us to look to the life of Jesus and his thoughts about the family of God so that we can move into the future that God has in store for us? And so we read this passage in the book of Mark, Mark 3, verses 31 to 35, and a little bit of context for how Mark is sharing this part of Jesus' story. So Mark, up to this point in his gospel... Jesus comes onto the stage of Mark's story at the age of 30 and immediately begins this spectacular ministry. In chapter 1, Mark tells us that Jesus is baptized by his cousin John in the wilderness. And he goes out, he's tempted by Satan and overcomes this temptation after 40 days and then returns and starts to proclaim this message of repentance because the kingdom of God is at hand. And as he is preaching this message, he's going along and he's demonstrating the fact that God's kingdom has shown up with the power to heal, the power to free people from spiritual oppression. People start to come from all over to find out what Jesus is all about and what he's up to. He begins to call disciples to himself. There's a crowd that gathers. This is all in three chapters. Jesus' ministry is exploding. And there's a group of people that has something to lose if Jesus continues to go the way that he's going. Because with the things that Jesus is saying, the things that he's doing, the social status and status, and status quo of his society is being turned upside down. And the people who have something to lose with what Jesus is saying are coming against him to stop him. Now, if we're familiar with the Gospels, we may be thinking about the group of people kind of known as the religious elite, of Jesus' day. This is the scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. These are the people that are coming against Jesus to say, you can't say what you're saying. But there's another group of people that had something to lose with how Jesus was choosing to live out his calling. For the Jewish people, there was a special place given to the role of family in a person's life. Family was everything. It was the source of your identity. 
It told you who you were and why you mattered. You were connected to a lineage that went back thousands of generations that gave you a sense of the story that you were a part of. Your family was where you found your occupation. It defined your primary relationships. It gave you the inheritance that you could work with moving forward and was actually your retirement plan with the kids that you had who you knew would take care of you. There was a cultural script for the Jewish people that said that family over everything was the way that you were supposed to live your life. Because of the role that family had, it was to be protected and promoted at all costs. Because if you lost your family, you lost everything. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a member of Jesus's family. And the son of Joseph and Mary, there's a whole story there, but every family has their stories, right? The son of Joseph and Mary, for the first 30 years of his life, stays pretty close to the script. Family over everything. Plays by the rules, does what he needs to do, takes up the role of the primary caretaker of his family after his dad Joseph passes. But after 30 years of life with Jesus, everything changes when he pays a visit to the family weirdo, John the Baptist, who is literally out in the middle of nowhere eating bugs. <laughs> Jesus pays a visit to this guy and something happens because then for 40 days, Jesus goes on a spirit quest into the wilderness by himself and then comes back claiming that he is the fulfillment of every promise ever made by the all-creator God of the universe. This is a problem. But it wasn't just what Jesus was saying about himself in this command to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. Then the stories start coming out. That apparently people are coming to Jesus to receive healing. He's teaching people by the droves and they're coming to him to find out what life is supposed to be like. Apparently he's performing exorcisms, curing people of diseases and calling a group of people to himself. And all of a sudden, what could have just been a phase in the life of Jesus has become a real problem. Because if he keeps doing what he's doing, the family is at risk. There was a cultural script that said that Jesus was supposed to play by the rules, to settle down, to take on the family business, and to take care of his immediate family. And now that is all in jeopardy. And Mark lets us know that this was in the mind of his family, because if we back up about 10 verses from Mark 3.31, and we go to Mark 3, verse 20, Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been tempted in the desert. He's healing people. He's rejecting the teaching of the religious leaders and challenging their thought process, calling a crowd, calling his disciples to himself. And in verse 20, it says this. One time, Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. The word that gets translated, take him away, in other places gets translated as arrested or seized. This is to forcibly remove someone from something that's happening. His family heard what was happening and they tried to take him away. He is out of his mind, they said. There was a group of people that had something to lose if Jesus continued doing what he was doing. And it wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the religious elite it was the members of his own family. And so with this context in mind, we go to read Mark chapter three, verses 31 to 35 again. Then Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and they sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and brothers are outside and they're asking for you. These two verses are not a friendly visit from Jesus's family. It's not like Mary sat with his brothers and said, we should go see Jesus at work. <laughs> He's been so busy, we should just go surprise him. <laughs> this isn't a friendly visit. This is the start of an episode of intervention. 
They think Jesus is out of his mind because he has rejected this cultural script that's supposed to tell him what he is supposed to do in prioritizing family over everything to protect and promote the interests of the family at all costs. And he's not playing by the rules anymore. And so they go to Jesus and they stand outside demanding that he comes out to them and puts an end to all of this and presents him with an ultimatum. Jesus, what you're doing is hurting the family and we're at risk and we don't wanna lose you and we wanna call you back to what you know is supposed to be right. And so you have a choice to make. You can either stay in there with them or you can come home with us and you can put a stop to all this. And while Jesus' family stood outside the home, Jesus sat at a table with the most disreputable people in town. This group of 12 no-name ragtag disciples who came from every walk of life and had nothing to offer to Jesus or to the family. He shared this table with prostitutes, with tax collectors, with lepers, with people who were diseased, people who were possessed by demons, people that the cultural script of family over everything had actually caused to be separated from their own biological families. People whose families had looked at him and had looked at them and said, your story and your brokenness and your reputation and what has happened to you is too much for this family. It's either us or it's you. You have to go. This group of outcasts that this cultural script had ostracized are sitting at the table with Jesus. And Jesus, hearing that his mother and brothers are outside, looks at those who were seated around the table with him and says, who are my mother and my brothers? These ones are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who chooses to do the will of the Father, that is the one that you can tell is my brother and my sister and my mother. Because as we come together to, father, to follow one father, we are all part of one family. And while Jesus' biological family came to him with this ultimatum that had everything to do with or, you're either gonna choose them or you're gonna choose us. You're gonna do this Messiah thing that you're all about right now or you're gonna come home. You have a choice to make, Jesus. This family over everything script that it hurt so many people who sat at Jesus' table, they handed to Jesus and Jesus picked it up and handed it back to them with the word or crossed off and replaced with the word and. In that moment, when Jesus said anyone who does the will of the Father is part of my family, the family of God. He wasn't closing the doors to his family who were staying outside. He was opening the doors to everyone who wanted to be a part of what he was doing, doing the will of the Father by believing in the one that the Father had sent and then living out that new life and relationship with him. When culture handed Jesus an or script, he replaced it with an and script. It's not us or them. It's not you or the people at these table. It's an and. But the problem is that we read these verses and we actually have an or script in our heads about the role of family and about the role of those who are close to us and how things are supposed to go. So we read these verses and we read a friendly visit from Jesus's mom and his brothers and we hear Jesus respond with this super harsh, who's my mom? Who are my brothers? And we're like, Jesus, that's your mom. You can't do that. But we know when we read the rest of the gospels that Jesus didn't actually reject the idea of the nuclear family and the importance of that. There's something else that's going on here because we see, especially in the book of John, that Jesus, his first miracle in John's gospel is actually performed as an act of honor and obedience to his mom. He says, Jesus, they're out of wine. You got to help. And he's like, it's not my time, mom. But here we go. At the end of Jesus's life, when he is on the cross, his mom and his disciple John are sitting there and he looks at his mom and says, 
Mother, behold your new son. And son, behold your mother. He's making sure that his mom is taken care of even after he's gone. Jesus talks about the dangers of divorce and how that can destroy a family. He condemns those who shirk their familiar responsibilities in favor or under the guise of trying to honor God. Jesus spoke very highly about the importance of family. So he's not rejecting his family in this moment, but he's also not excluding them from the new thing that God was trying to do through him to create a family that wasn't based on bloodlines and the self-protective walls that were set up that created an us versus them mentality and looked out for the interests of some at the expense of others. Jesus took this or script that he had been handed about family and passed it back with an and on it. When Jesus talked about the family of God, he talked about it as an and, not an or. Not us or them, but everyone who wants to be a part of this. You and you, together. Us and them, together. Anyone who chooses to follow me can be part of this new family that God is creating and this new future that's possible because we're together. So what are Jesus' thoughts on the importance of family and how God thought about his family? How does that shape how we think about the future that God is inviting us into as the Hope Collective? The Hope Collective, this family, is growing. I don't know if you've ever gotten to service late and tried to find a seat. This family is growing. There are people in our community that are coming to this place because they're hearing about what God is doing here and they're saying, we wanna be a part of what, what's happening. There are people who are beginning relationship with God for the very first time because there are people in this community who are loving them and showing them what Jesus is like and the way that they treat them. There are men and women who are experiencing healing in their stories and places of pain are now being transformed into places of purpose where they are finding their calling and their way to say yes to the mission that God is inviting them to be a part of. This family is growing. And there is a cultural script for contemporary Christian culture that tells us what's supposed to happen next. That any church that's growing needs to build a bigger auditorium so that it can have a bigger congregation, so that it can get a bigger budget, so it can build a bigger brand, so it can be a better church, and that is what success will look like as a church. There is a cultural script that says, like churches that, that, says that churches like ours in a season like this, this is what you're supposed to do, and it is an or script because it is promoting this idea that we need to serve the inside, not the outside, and we have to build this space at the expense of this space. And so you build a bigger auditorium that sits hundreds of people and sits empty for six days a week. But that's what you got to do because it's family over everything. It's Sunday over everything. It's one day over every day. And that cultural script has produced an opposite reaction on the other side that says, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. That's supposed to go towards the community. Any investment that you make is supposed to go towards the community. And so if you got to run 17 different services on a weekend, you do that because you want to prioritize what's out here. And this is an or script. You can only do this or that. You can serve the collective or the community, but you can't do both. And as the Hope Collective, we are rejecting that or script and we are looking to Jesus for an and script. Yeah. What does it look like for our perspective on God's family to be an and so that we can experience the future that God is inviting us to be a part of? We wanna take this perspective that Jesus took seriously and not make these self-protective dichotomies that would create an us and a them, the inside and the outside, and do things that are in the interests of one and not in the interests of the other. And so we are going to Jesus and we have in prayer and in conversation to say, okay, God, what does it look like for our next steps to be and steps? How do we care for the people who are already part of the Hope Collective family? And how do we care well for the community out there that has members of our family that are just longing to come home? And all they need is an invitation and a place at the table. Because here's the thing, just like Jesus 
didn't reject the importance of the family that he had been given, we are not rejecting the importance of the family that we've been given. And so when we talk about this idea of building the family, if you've been following along uh, in your book or you were part of the Advanced Commitment Night or Vision Night, you know that when we talk about this part of the vision, it does involve an expansion of our facility. It involves a space where the entire Hope Collective can meet on one gathering on a Sunday and a kid's space where all those kids can be together because we believe the family is important. And we know that, that there's tension for some people in that idea of building a bigger space. But can I tell you what has just been messing with me? This week, as I've been preparing for this message. This summer, it will be 13 years of marriage for my wife and I. And we, oh, thank you. 13 years of marriage. And I remember in that first year of marriage that we made a commitment to say it is going to be important for us to share these family meals and these family moments together. So we made all of the efforts that we could to do dinner together every single night. And we were living in this tiny apartment in Grand Rapids and we were finishing up school up there. And so we had this little four top table that my in-laws had given us. And it was the table that my wife had grown up having family dinner around. And so we had this four top table in our tiny apartment and we were working restaurant jobs. And so we had the night shift and we would come home at 10 o'clock at night and we would have dinner together because we believed it was important to have those moments together. And I remember those memories. And that's all I'm gonna, all I'm gonna say about those. <laughs> but those moments stand out. And that little four-top table followed us to our next tiny living space and our next tiny living space. And it was a few years after that we got married that we celebrated the birth of our first child. And so we brought a high chair up to that four-top table and we made it a point to have those dinners together because it was important for the family to be together. And then two years later, we welcomed the birth of our second child. And so we brought another high chair up to that four top table and we celebrated the fact that we were able to be together because it was important for us to share those moments together. And then a few years after that, we celebrated the arrival of our third child. And all of a sudden, we are a family of five with a table for four. And can I tell you what thought never crossed our minds? At no point after the birth of our third child did Renee and I look at each other and say, you know what we should do? We should start a five o'clock dinner and a six o'clock dinner and a seven o'clock dinner. <laughs> so we can keep the size of this thing small, it's manageable, everybody gets fed, that is totally, that thought never even crossed our mind because it was important for the family to be together. We love the fact that we have a space that we can offer for two services every Sunday. It's also a space that comes with some tension because for every person that's sitting in this room right now, there is an entire other room full of people that's gonna be here in the 11 o'clock who love Jesus, who love this place, who love the Hope Collective, who are so on board for what God is doing and where he's inviting us to be a part of the future and the two will never meet because we don't have a space where everybody can meet together. And there are weeks when it feels like we don't have three churches that meet in this space, Hope Collective, Fuente de Vida, and Fusion Church. We have four churches, Hope Collective 9 o'clock, Hope Collective 11 o'clock, Fuente and Fusion. And so when we think about the future that God is inviting us into, we want to have a space that is an and for the Hope Collective family, that is not a nine o'clock or 11 o'clock but is a space where all of us can be together in one space. And we know that having a space like that, that's just one day out of the week, which is why at the same time, we're having conversations about what does it look like for us to create a space where we can have the entire Hope Collective family in one space at one time and can be used by the community the six other days of the week. What does it look like for us to create a space where the community can come for events, where we could host basketball programs, where they could be smaller gatherings that take place in that space that isn't an or space? And this comes with a little bit of tension because 
in the conversations that we have with people who do facility expansion and all of that, this just isn't on the radar because it is an or space. You're not like a church doesn't share the same space as a basketball program unless you have to. That's not what churches do. You need to create a space that is one day over every day. And so we go into those conversations saying like, well, how can we make this an everyday space? And we're like, well, we're going to have to figure this out because honestly, we don't think it's possible. And we say, well, it's only not possible until somebody does it. After someone does it, crazy doesn't sound so crazy. So how can we make this an and space, not an or space? How can we have this gathering space for the whole collective family that's also open to the community? How can we have a kids area that is able to host all of our kids on a Sunday morning, but then during the week could be a community daycare or even a school in the future? How do we create this space? How do we let how Jesus thought about God's family influence the very way that we carry out expanding our facility? Because it's not or, it's and. But if we're gonna change the way that this facility operates, we're gonna to have to change the way that we think about what it means to be God's family. Because Jesus was really clear that people who try to hang on to their lives are the ones who eventually end up losing it because they think about life through the grid of what there is to lose. But if we're able to open our hands to what God has in store for the future. Then we receive so much more than the things we're clinging to that we're gonna lose anyway. So what does it look like for us to change the way that we think about this space, not as a collective versus community, but as a everyone who wants to follow God together in one space and allow that table to be set for everyone who wants to be a part of it. And at this point in the message is where you insert all the caveats. Because we do believe that there are some very important or decisions that Jesus said that we would have to make, specifically around our allegiance to him. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and anything else. You can't serve two masters because you're either gonna love the one and hate the other or you're gonna hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and anything else. There is an or decision that we have to make when it comes to how we are going to respond to the invitation of Jesus. Will we choose to be in a relationship with him or not? And we also know that as an organization, as a church, we will come to the point where we will have to make some or decisions that there are gonna be moments when we will have to choose between two things because that's part of what it means to be finite. You can't do everything all the time. So you will have to make decisions that are or decisions. And in those moments, that's why, knowing that those moments are gonna happen, we have done so much work around two areas. What is God's mission? And what are our values? So then we, we, when we come to those moments, those or decisions, we're not coming into those moments and making those decisions from a reactionary place. We're not going with opinions or preferences or what we think we should do in any script that we've been handed. We go into those moments saying, what is God doing in the world? He's reconciling himself. He's reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5. He is making all things good again. That is what he is doing. How do we believe he has invited the Hope Collective to be a part of that? What are the values that he's given us that define the things that we are going to do moving forward? Jesus is our hope. People are our passion. Worship is our response. Community is our design. Faith is our foundation. Serving is our privilege. Generosity is our norm and scripture is our guide. We make our or decisions from that place. And so we know that Jesus said that there are or decisions that we're gonna have to make. We know that as an organization, we will have to make those or decisions, but we wanna make those based on our mission, the mission of God that we're on and our values and no other place. And we also know that and is a lot more difficult than or. Because the only thing you need to do with an or is build your walls a little higher and protect yourself from those that you think would take from you and try to hold on so tightly to what you have at the risk of not having open hands to receive what God has for you. And is hard. And requires creativity and grace and patience, and innovation, but and is possible. Can I share something with you? 
Mark gives us this story from the life of Jesus and leaves us in this moment where Jesus's family is standing on the outside of this house demanding that he come out and make this or decision while Jesus sits around the table with the most disreputable folks in towns trying to invite them inside. And so we're left in Mark 3 with this standoff between these two groups of people. And Mark never closes the loop here, never lets us know how this resolves. But in Acts chapter one, after Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended into heaven and said, go to Jerusalem and wait because the Holy Spirit is coming. And I'm about to do a new thing. But if you want this new thing, you gotta be willing to think differently. That's why he talked previously about new wine in new wineskins. You can't take the new thing Jesus wants to do and fit it into your old way of thinking. You need a new way of thinking to receive the new thing that Jesus is doing. I'm gonna do a new thing. So go to Jerusalem and wait. And in Acts chapter one, verse 12 to 14, it says that then the apostles returned to Jerusalem after Jesus has ascended They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of about half a mile. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And here are the names of those who were present. And Luke goes on to list the 11 disciples who are still present, the same disciples that Mark listed in chapter three, who were seated with Jesus and taking him away from his family. Luke goes and lists these 11 disciples. And in verse 14 says that they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Several other women, presumably the women we talked about last week who laid the foundation for Jesus and his ministry, and the brothers of Jesus. In Mark 3, we are left with an or, a standoff between what was and what could be. And then we fast forward to Acts 1, And we see these groups of people that were against one another. These disciples that had taken Jesus away from his family. We see Jesus's mom and his brothers and those who thought he was out of his mind and wanted to take him out of the picture, seated at the same table as the 12 disciples, waiting and praying with an eager anticipation about the better tomorrow that was coming because the Holy Spirit was on his way. And it was in that and space that the church was born and that the Holy Spirit came and the gospel went forward because there was a group of people that were willing to let go of their old way of thinking to receive the new thing that Jesus was doing. And so as a church, as families, as individuals, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to think differently about our idea of family so that we can receive the future that Jesus has in store for the Hope Collective? And this may be a message for now, for you. This may be a message for later. But the idea of are we willing to trade our or mentality when it comes to the family of God for an and mentality? How can we create lives and spaces where everybody can be a part of what Jesus is doing next? That's the invitation to each and every one of us is to have a common seat at the table together with those committed to doing the will of God by trusting and believing and following the one that he sent. So how do we have a future that's defined by the and and not the or? Well, it starts with how we think about the family of God today. I wanna invite you guys to check out this testimony from Caleb and Reagan and hear more a little bit about what God is doing in their hearts and inviting them to be a part of for the future. I feel like one of the big reasons that we came to the Hope Collective was because we saw the reach that they had into the Lake County uh, community and just everything that they did in terms of outreach. And so that's what drew us in. Even just walking in these doors from the first day, I feel like it was just something where it was so blatantly obvious that the Lord was at work here and we could not wait to be a part of that. Financially, it's always been really hard for us lately. We haven't been in the best place with COVID and being laid off of work. But when I heard about the vision that the church has for this Give Hope campaign, I just felt this stirring in my heart that I need to give more than I had been. We have greatly benefited and been direct recipients of the generosity of the Hope Collective. I was chosen Mm -hmm. as one of the two women 
um, to receive a ginormous blessing um, from the proceeds of one of women's events. And just we're seen, doesn't matter about the money, just we're seen by, by our people. I think that speaks so much, so many more volumes. And so I think the Lord teaching us about generosity in this season to not shy away from receiving it, but also in turn still be able to give it out, right back out, and in whichever way he's asking us to. In this day and age, there's there's so much hopelessness in the world. Yeah. So much, and I love that I go to a church called the Hope Collective because I think collectively we can bring a lot of hope to those people who are searching in so many different ways that there's so many things out there that I would have never thought would be happening. And I think a lot of it just sums back to to people trying to find hope, trying to find where they fit in, trying to find their identity. Um, and there's only one person who can give us that identity, and, and that's the Lord. If someone was super transparent with me and said, hey, I'm really on the fence about giving, um, I think our first question would be, why are you on the fence? Satan really would love to get us focused on um, the what, the, the how much money are we raising, what's this for again, um, give me all the details. When the Lord's not focusing on that, he's focusing on the why. Because I guarantee you, if you were to sit down with anybody and they were to look in the face of a hurting child who needed our help and our outreach, take take the shirt off my back, take all the food in my pantry, I'll give you everything. And so I think if we can break down, am I focusing on the big thing over here and not really thinking about the people who the Lord is specifically wanting to reach the hearts of? That should get you right over that fence, if you ask me. <laughs> the fact that they're even on the fence means that they probably feel the Lord calling them to do it. Um, yeah. But the thing that's holding them back, which is keeping them half on the fence, is is the, the comfort aspect of yeah. it. I think crossing over that fence, you're going to lose an aspect of comfort. In those times when you're uncomfortable, in those times when you're pushed, and when you're really leaning in, is the times that you're going to grow and you're going to change, and you're going to meet amazing people people that are serving right alongside you here at the Hope Collective, um, people that you may see every Sunday, but you've never um, met them and, and gotten to know their name. If you want to get to know people and, and the amazing souls that are here at this church um, and really grow your community and have those people that are right there by you, you need to serve if for no other reason than that get off the fence because you're going to meet some amazing people in the process uh, i can guarantee that I, I love the the give hope campaign because there's a lot of stuff that's that i think is great that's going to be coming out of this campaign and that the hope collective is going to do and there's already so many so much great that they're doing but there's more to come we sat down with dave and natalie for breakfast and we walked away with a vision, a vision that we said that would be really cool to happen. And Dave said, oh, it's going to happen. And, and that's one of those parts of that vision was a thrift store. With the, the current economic climate, I said, I think this thrift store is going to be something that can bring hope to a lot of people. I think it's going to bring in a lot of hurting people who are in a situation that they've never been in before. And I think that Bringing those people into the store is going to be one of the greatest opportunities um, to, to give hope to people and not just um, in the terms of giving them their physical needs, but bringing healing to the entire person. People have a really hard time walking into a church, especially people who need help because of church hurt, because of stigmas, because of who knows what's it's. And so for us to be able to open up our doors of a thrift store and to be able to physically give hope to people, to physically meet needs, and while also using those physical material needs to be the vehicle of Jesus mm. in their lives, I am just like, I am ready to hit the ground running. <laughs> but yeah, we're really excited. <laughs> if it can't, if it's not showing. <sighs> Hope, coming to the thrift store near you. Ba -ba -ba -boo. <laughs>
We want to help people find new relationships and purpose because that's what we've found. We want to help meet material needs and spiritual needs. The future that God has in store for us is that kind of future. So are we going to be that kind of family moving forward? That's the challenge to each and every one of us. So this coming week, as we get ready for Commitment Sunday on April 10th, these cards, take the time that you need to pray about it, to have the conversations, and on April 10th, we'll be inviting you to fill out that yellow box with what you believe God is asking you to contribute as part of this Give Hope campaign. And there'll be a moment where you get to bring that forward and sign this table to say we want to be part of building bigger tables in our community so that everybody can have an invitation to the family. I invite you guys to stand, and I'm going to pray for you before we dismiss. Heavenly Father, thank you for this space and for the opportunity that you have invited us into, which is to be a part of your family. And that is not an invitation that we want to keep to ourselves, but that is an invitation that we want to share with the world around us because that is your heart for your kids who are just needing an invitation to come back to the Father. And so we ask that as we go out into this week, you would keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds open so that we can see the and opportunities that you have for us, where we will be able to open up the things that we have carried and clutched to for so long and open our hands so we can receive the new thing that you're doing and invite people into relationship with you in the way that we love them. And as we get ready for next Sunday, God, we pray that you would allow us to hear your voice clearly and that you would give us the courage to say yes to what you invite us to. We love you. And it is in the name of Jesus, our hope, that we pray. Amen. Amen, Amen everybody. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.